Have you been going around the internet looking for the relevant baseball podcast? Well, you just found it. On the Dodo Report, we'll cover not only the latest news from Crocs Major League Baseball, but we'll also analyze and break down the hardest games, players, stats, and takes from every aspect of the game, including from on the field, in the Dodo and Clubhouse, from the front office, and so much more. As longtime White Sox broadcaster Ken the Hall Carrollson would say, sit back, relax, and strap it down. This is the Dodo Report podcast with Andrew Caruso. everyone and a very happy Sunday to you wherever you may be. This is episode 11 of the Dugout Report on this Sunday, August 7th, 2022. I am your host, Andrew Caruso. On this episode, I'll cover the first factor to significant trade deadline moves, including Juan Soto's the Padres, Josh Hader also going to San Diego, Frankie Montas to the Yankees, Luis Castillo to the Mariners, and Trey Mancini to the Astros. The rest of the big moves from over the last few days will be covered in the next episode in a few weeks. More on that in a little bit. After that, as has become routine on the show lately, I'll preview the top three series on the schedule for the upcoming week and why I think you should tune into those matchups. Last week, to cap off the episode, I'll react to the grades you gave your team based on the your deadline on their deadline acquisition, which you sent in on, in on social media. Stay tuned till the end to hear those thoughts. Before we jump into covering all the latest baseball headlines, I hope everyone is doing well. It felt good to get back in front of the mic last weekend after taking the previous two weeks to recover from the sur- from surgery. I wanted to address a few things regarding the release schedule over the next few weeks, as well as trade coverage on the show. As I stated in the intro, this week I'll be covering the first batch of most significant moves from the deadline, which are the ones featuring the major stars of top trade candidates throughout the week. There were, you know, I'm not going to cover every trade, but, you know, I boiled it down to the top, like, ten, and I'll do five this week and five next week. Anyways, this brings me to my next point, which is that there won't be any episode next weekend, August 14th. I'm traveling for pretty much the entire, all of next week, and I'm only home for about two days total next week. So I think it's best for me to take the next, next week off. With that being said, the rest of the top deadline move will be covered in the episode upon my return on Sunday, August 21st. I won't be covering every trade on here, like I said earlier, only the most significant, only the most significant, significant moves. Stay tuned. And by most significant, like I said, I mean, you know, I boiled it down, I looked at all the moves, and I picked, you know, the top ten that, that were most significant. So, I'll be covering five, the f- five this week and five next week. So. Be stated. Now that we've addressed that, if you missed the episode from last week, you can listen to that episode and previous editions of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Also, I want to remind you, you can follow the show on Twitter at DugoutRepPod. That's Dugout, R-E-P, Pod. While you're at it, follow my personal Twitter feed and my Instagram pages at AndrewCaruso77. Postings on Instagram are non-existent, so Twitter is the primary place to follow and connect with me, connect with me as well as the, sh- well as the show. That's enough social media talk for one day. We've got a lot to cover, so we can't waste any more time. With that being said, let's head, head into the dugout to talk baseball. Before we jump into covering the trades that went down over the last few days, 
We're gonna start off today's episode on a very sad episode on a very sad note. I never imagined having to do something like this on the show, but this news is significant enough that I feel obligated to discuss it here. The news is that on on the night of August second, legendary MLB broadcaster Vin Scully passed away at the age of 94. Scully is best known for being the voice of the Dodgers from, for 67 years, from 1950 until his retirement in 2016. Scully started with the team when they were still in Brooklyn as a freshly, as a freshly minted graduate out of Fordham University and, and moved with the team to Los Angeles in 1958, where he re, would remain for nearly 60 years. He also called various postseason and all-star games for networks like NBC and CBS. He was behind and with behind the mic for signature postseason moments such as Mookie Wilson's at bat in Game 6 of the 1986 World Series, which was memorable for Bill Buckner's error through through his legs to send the series to ga- Game 7 when Ray Knight scored, and it injured Kirk Gibson's legendary home run off Dennis Eckersley in Game 1 of the 1988 series. Series. Other historic moments that Scully was on the call for include Hank Aaron, Aaron's record-breaking breaking 715th home run in 1974, Don Morrison's World Series Perfecto in 1956, and countless other moments of the Dodgers and other other teams. In addition to baseball, Scully called football and golf for, for NBC and CBS for many years. He was named the 1982 Ford C. Frickle by the National Baseball Hall of Fame which is awarded to an outstanding baseball broadcaster. In 2016, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom the same year that the street leading to Dodger Stadium was named from Ovation, renamed from Ovation Park Avenue to 1000 Vin Scully Avenue. And Dodger fans, you can correct me if you know I, that was wrong. Uh, in 2017, he was honored with a microphone alongside the Dodger retired numbers and their and their and a microphone of their Spanish voice, Jaime Harin. The press box also at Dodger Stadium is also named for him, and he is a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. If you want to read the plethora of memories and statements about Vince Scully shared by the Dodgers, MLB, other media members, fans, and players, both current and former, you can go online. As for as you can imagine, tributes, tributes. Tributes poured in when the news was announced and have continued to pour in over the last few days. As for my thoughts on this on this news, his death is a sad occasion throughout baseball. He is simply the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time. Don't fight me. Echoing what was said by so many on, online, he was a master storyteller and made listening to a baseball game enjoyable for all, all ages. His nearly seven decades as a broadcaster meant he could tell a story about Jackie Robinson and the boys of summer while calling a game with Clayton Kershaw on the, bump, on the mound. Not only that, so many historical moments like the ones I listed above would not be the same without his calls. As for how it was impacted by his work, just look at this, just look at this podcast and how I open every episode. My opening line? It's an allusion to Vince Scully's fans opening to every Dodger telecast. Hello, everyone, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. It would be an understatement to say that his work has and will impact the game of baseball for generations to come. There are are no words to truly express Mr. Vince Scully's stamp on our great game. It's safe to say that there will never be anyone like him again. 
as a podcast host, I've already decided I had I had already decided on the agenda for this episode last Tuesday, and when the news broke Wednesday morning, I revised my plans to include this tribute. As I said on Twitter that day and in the intro to this segment, the news was too big of a deal for me not to acknowledge it and pay tribute ASAP. So, I guess I'll close the segment by expressing my condolences to Vin's family, friends, fans, the doctor organization, and all those who were impacted by his work. But I'll also say thank you for his, immens- his immeasurable contributions to the game. Rest in peace, Vin Scully, a life well lived. To quote the movie The Sandlot, quote, Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And now I will, I want to know, what was your favorite Scully call or moment? My favorite call has to be Mookie Wilson's World Series at bat in 1986. Let me know. So, but I guess, you know, uh, Rest in peace, Vince Gully. Um, a truly, truly sad loss for baseball. Now I will observe a moment of silence. Anyways, thank you. Anyways, now that we've addressed the, that important news, it's time for the main topic, topic of the episode, covering the first batch of major trade moves from the deadline. For this segment, I'll give the details about the trade and my reaction to it. We don't have time to dwell on stats or any unnecessary details. This is going to be rapid fire. Sorry. The first move we're going to cover today surrounds two trades made by the same team. The first move was perhaps the biggest move of the deadline, as on August 2nd, hours before the hours before the 6 o'clock cutoff time, the San Diego Padres acquired star outfitter Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell from the Washington Nationals in exchange for pitching pitching prospects Mackenzie Gore, James Wood, and Harlan Susana, as well as infield prospect C.J. Abrams and outfield prospect Robert Hassel III. Washington also received MLB first baseman designated hitter Luke Voigt in the deal. The move was first reported by ESPN's Jeff Passan and came weeks after Soda rejected a mega 15-year contract from extension from Washington. This trade was actually delayed because San Diego wanted to include first baseman Eric Hosmer in the original proposal, but Hosmer refused to take the Nats off his no-trade list that's part of his lucrative contract. Nevertheless, the pods shift Hosmer off to the Red Sox later in that day. More on that in a few weeks. The second big trade that the the Padres made during the deadline came the day before the Soto trade. As on August 1st, San Diego acquired all-star closer Josh Hader from the Milwaukee Brewers in exchange for big leaguers Taylor Rogers and Denilson Lament, as well as pitching prospects Robert Gasser and outfield prospect Esteri Ruiz. Lamette was designated for assignment along with Blue catcher Pedro Severino on Wednesday. The deal was also first reported by Passin and came as a surprise to many fans and journalists throughout baseball, and I have to agree with that. I was not expecting this, this move, but, excuse me. But also, with sorry, but also with the emergence of Devin Williams as a strong waiting in guide for the Brewers, I see why they made this trade. As for what the Padres received in both the Soto and Heater trades, 
With Soto and Bell, they receive solid bats and defenders. With Hader, they receive a solid closer that will always transcend their bullpen. When Fernando Tatis Jr. is healthy again, he, Soto, and Manny Machado will be a powerful middle-of-the-order order trio in the lineup. All the moves the Padres made this deadline will most certainly send them to October. Maybe as far as the league championship series. Who knows? We shall see. Let me know what you guys, what you think of these trades, and how far do you think the Padres are going this October if they make it? Can't wait to hear your thoughts. The third trade that we're going to cover this episode is the acquisition of pitcher Frank, pitchers Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino by the New York Yankees and the Oakland Athletics that took place on August 1st. <clears throat> Sorry. In return, the Yanks sent pitching prospect Ken Waldachuk. Luis Medina and J.P. Sears, as well as minor league first baseman Cooper Bowman to Oakland. Walter Chuck was ranked the number five prospect in New York, New York's farm system at the time of the deal, according to MLB.com. This trade for Montas came after the Yanks missed out on Luis Castillo, who was acquired by the Mariners on July 29th. More on that later. It was also part of a plethora of moves during a busy deadline for the Yankees. As a Yankee fan, I really like this move, as we got the second best pitcher on the market after missing out on Castillo. It sucks for it to part ways with those prospects, but baseball is baseball. Montas provides a solid number two arm behind Garrett Cole in the rotation, with Luis Severino injured, injured, and, and Lou Trevino provides a solid arm in the Yankee bullpen, in a Yankee bullpen that has been depleted with injuries and performances as of late. I'm really excited to see these guys sit up in the pinstripes, and I'm intrigued to hear your reaction to this trade. Let me know. I guess I should also mention that I'm also really excited to see Jose Trevino, our catcher, and Lou Trevino pitch, uh, work together as a battery in the game. Uh, when we acquired Jose Trevino, uh, Luis Severino thought the Yankees acquired Lou Trevino. But now the Yankees have acquired Lou Trevino, so let me know what you think of this trade. The fourth move that we're going to cover this week is involving another big arm that I referenced earlier. Right on July 29th, the Seattle Mariners acquired pitcher Luis Castillo from the Cincinnati Reds. Castillo, who has been a two-time All-Star during his career, was considered the top arm on the trade market by Frankie Montas, was swapped for Seattle prospect Levi Stout, Andrew Moore, and Edwin Arroyo and Noel V. Marte. Marte is the Mariners' top prospect, and everyone else except Moore was ranked in the top five on Seattle's top prospects list. This is one of the bigger trades of the deadline, and was perhaps the first big splash of the deadline. And it provides Seattle with a great arm in the, the top of the rotation behind Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray. It's clear the Mariners have October ambition in mind, and this move is evidence of that. Their hope to accomplish that goal. What do you think of this trade? Again, let me know. Last, but certainly not least, is the fifth and final move we're going to cover this episode. This one actually involves big teams, but it all centers around the asterisk part of the equation. Again, on August 1st, the Strohs acquired outfitter first baseman designated hitter Troy Mancini from the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for minor league righty Seth Johnson from Tampa and and Chase McDermott from Houston. Also, as part of the trade, the Rays acquired minor league pitcher Jaden Murray in exchange for, for, in exchange for outfielder Jose Siri from Houston. 
In turn, to clear a spot on the 40-man roster, the Rays designated outfielder Brett Phillips, who then got traded to Baltimore for cash considerations on August 2nd. A lot to process here, but let's get back to focusing on the Mancini part of the trade. This is another great trade that gives Houston a versatile guy in the lineup for a potential October run. Into October run, as he can play in the corner outfield, first base, and even the DH when the team needs him to. So all around, this is a nice pickup for Houston. I guess the other major major part of the, all this mess that's worth getting some airtime to is the DFAing of Brett Phillips. The Rays themselves said it was a difficult decision to make since since Phillips is so beloved in Tampa, but considering his on-field performance this year, it had to be done. All in all, both the O's and Rays lost men favorites, and it probably wasn't easy for both guys to accept the trades. But baseball is baseball, and trades are part of the business. Let me know what you think of this packed trade. And with that being said, we've covered the first batch of significant trade moves. I'll cover the rest when I return from vacation. Next up, we're going to preview the top series in baseball for the coming week of, coming week of August, August 8th. That's coming up, so don't go away. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Our last major topic for the episode is previewing the top three series for the next week, April 8th to 14th. I'll tell you I'll tell you about the about the team a little about the teams involved and why you should why you should tune into that series. Let's go. The first must watch series on this week's schedule is not really a series. It's the second annual Field of Dreams game on Thursday, August 11th in Dyersville, Iowa, versus the Chicago Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds. Between the Chicago Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds, excuse me. At a special field built near the filming location of the 1989 baseball movie Field of Dreams. As I said, this is the second annual game after the Yankees and White Sox inaugurated the game last year after it was delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. While both teams aren't filled to the brim with stars and having subpar years at the bottom of their division, this is perhaps the marquee game of the year as it is between two of the oldest MLB franchises in a very historic location. The fact that this game is taking place on a special location while being broadcast on national TV makes this a contest every fan should tune into. Since this only happened once a year, for now, MLB at Field of Dreams is just as special as the All-Star Game or any other special exhibition game, like um, like the Little League Classic or, or you know, MLB at Omaha or Puerto Rico or any kind of special exhibition game. And I hope you have it circled on your cal- and I hope you have the cer- field of dreams game circled on your calendar. I'll definitely be following following along. After an off day Friday, both teams head to Cincinnati to finish up the series on Saturday and Sunday. I say the Cubs will take this series two to one. The second much watched series is the series between the Texas Rangers and Houston Astros, commencing on Tuesday night, August 9th in Houston. Again, another classic. Sorry, another classic divisional matchup, this time between two in-state rivals. 
One is at the top in the Astros, and the other is in the middle in the Rangers. The Astros are the star team here. With stars like Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Alex Bregman, Justin, and Justin Berlander, just to name a few. The Rangers are mainly led by their star free agent signing Cody, Cody Seager, but they also have a few underrated stars like Marcus Semien, Mitch Garver, and Dane Dunning. The fact is this rivalry is pretty well known and makes this series one to, one to tune into. In this three-game tilt, I say Houston again takes it two games to one. Our last must-watch series is another classic divisional matchup, which is a series between the, Mets, the New York Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies starting on Friday from City Field in Queens, New York. Unlike the other two matchups, both rosters are filled with stars. From the Mets, you have Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Pete Alonso, and Edwin Diaz, among others. And for the Phillies, even though he's injured, you've got Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, and their big pitcher, Zach Wheeler, again, to name a few. Like the Astros Rangers series, this is, features one team at the top and the other in the middle of the division. In this three-game set, I say the Mets take two games to one. It'll be, be it'll be interesting to see see how all the series I've, I've listed this week will play out. Almost all divisional matchup this time. Do you agree with my selections? Are there any others that I missed out that I missed that you think that should be talked about? More? Let me know. We're getting close to the end of the episode, but the social media segment is coming right up, so don't go away. Welcome back. To cap off this week, it's time for the social media segment. Now that I stated at the beginning of the episode, I asked you to grade your team based on based on their deadline acquisitions. And if you think these moves help or hurt the, their posts and chances, let's dive in. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get any replies this week again. So instead, I think what I, I think I'm going to deviate and tell you the top three winners of the deadline. And if I think the trades that they made will increase their posted intensity. So we're slightly modifying this segment. Let's dive in. So, uh, in my opinion, the top three winners in this top three winners of the deadline in this order are are the Padres, obviously, the Yankees, and the Minnesota Twins. Um, I say the Padres because obviously, you know, they brought in Soto and they also brought in Josh Hader, but they also brought in Brandon Jury and a couple of more arm you know, a couple more arms, you know, they brought in they brought in material that will most certainly propel them to an October vic- October run. Like I said in the Soto segment, you know, this trades all these moves. AJ Preller, who is the GM, wants to win now. He wants to win now, and these moves are clearly evident of that. So, the Padres are the the top winner of the deadline. Coming in second place, uh, we have the Yankees, who acquired, you know, who addressed all their major needs this deadline year. You know, they needed to address the rotation in Frankie Montas. They addressed the bullpen by getting uh getting um Luis uh, no not Luis Castillo, Scott Afra. Scott Efros from Chicago and Blue Trevino in the Montas trade. 
and the hood rusty outfield by getting Andrew Benintendi from Kansas City. I covered that last week if you want to hear my thoughts on that deal. The Andrew Benintendi and Harrison from the Royals and Harrison Bader from St. Louis. Now, there is a drawback to the Bader trade as Yankees gave up uh, pitcher Jordan Montgomery in the Bader trade to, sa- to St. Louis, which was definitely a hit to the rotation as Monty has been very solid. But, you know, uh, with Severino injured, Mont- uh, Montas can slot right into where, you know, where um, Severino was. And then when Severino comes back, the Yankees can give Domingo Herman or another arm they can. And, you know, having Trevino and Afros for the bullpen, it really strengthens it. And honestly, this trade was a real head-scratcher. But, you know, uh, Bader provides another solid outfielder, you know, because our outfielder has been swinging a miss this year. Honestly, they traded off Joey Gallo, so that's good. But, um, you know, they... They, I guess they brought, you know, they brought in the necessary pieces. And this this only helps their posts and chances. And I guess for my third winner of the deadline is Minnesota. Minnesota, I was reading before I recorded the segment, you know. They brought in pitching Tyler Malley, Michael Fulmer, Michael Fulmer, and Jorge Lopez. And I'll cover the Lopez and Maui trades. Uh, I think I'm covering the Maui trade a couple weeks so they really brought in the rotation the offense has been you know the offense has been you know good but I think they from what I was reading I think the pitching side of things really lacked um I don't think it helps for their postseason chances you know it could definitely give them a boost in the central division but I don't you know they're they're even and I think my wild card winner uh, for the for the deadline is I'd say, you know, the Nationals, I guess, could be our deadline winner, you know, our wild card pick. Because the Nationals, they got uh, they got Luke Voigt for first base, who, first base DH, and they go, but I think what really sells them is they got a whole plethora of prospects in the Soto trade. So, um, you know, obviously they lost Soto and Bell, who have been, uh, strong contributors, but you know they lost. They um, but I say the Nationals are the wild card team purely because they got all the prospects. You know who will, you know who are top, who are top prospects in the Padres system, and I think they they are expected to continue that continue that in San Diego. Oh, Washington. I'm sorry. Uh, but um, you know I'm sorry none of you got to submit replies. You know I'm sorry. You know. You know, I put it out. I put out the social media segment for Twitter. So the Padres get an the Padres get an A plus. The Yankees get an A minus, and I'd say an A. And the I'd say the Minnesota Twins and the National each get a B. Let me know who were the winners, who were the losers of the deadline, who were kind of the even even guys. And I should prop and. Similar with the Twins, it doesn't, the Nationals acquisitions, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt or help their postseason chances. It's even. So, um, I'm sorry none of you got to submit your thoughts for the social media segment. I put it out a few days before, but I'm sorry, I'm glad, I'm sorry just none of you really saw it and none of you had the chance to submit your thoughts. So, but, so there is next time. So, 
you know, we've sadly breached the end, so make sure you follow the show on social media so you can participate next time. We've sadly breached the end of the episode, but closing the works are coming right up. So don't, so keep listening and don't go away. Stay tuned. So that concludes the end of episode 11 of the Dog Out Report. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Once again, as a reminder, you can follow the show on on Twitter at DugoutRepPod and my personal Twitter and Instagram pages at AndrewCaruso77. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Please share this episode with your friends and on social media. That's it for this week, and so this is your host, Andrew Caruso, signing off. I'll see you on August 21st. Thanks for listening, and so long, everyone.